Uh, if, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but if you ever just peek and open up your eyes before the prayers, before the messages, we sort of do a complete stage redesign. So if you ever uh, want to cheat on God a little bit and peek, uh, you got that opportunity. Uh, so we are jumping in. Uh, we're going to do something a little old school. We're going to study the Bible, okay? Uh, we are jumping into Philippians. Every week we're going to cover a chapter of Philippians. And like I said last week, I would love for you during the week to be reading this with us, to be studying, uh, because unless you want to stay till like 11 p.m. tonight, I'm not going to be able to cover the whole chapter of uh, this, this first chapter of Philippians, even though I would love that. I'm sure some of you guys wouldn't like to do that. Uh, so tonight, we're going to do the first chapter, and I also want to set up the entire book of Philippians so that we have a little context of uh, how this was written. Okay, so the first thing to know is the book of Philippians is actually not a book, right? It's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul is sort of a, a missionary uh, for the early church. Uh, and so he would go and plant churches. He planted a church, church uh, in Philippi. And uh, this was years later. And he was sending this letter to the Philippians. Now, one of the most important things to know, the context of this letter, is Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Uh, the Roman Empire, around that time, uh, they had uh, Caesar was sort of their, their big boss, their king. And uh, they had this phrase, Caesar is Lord. It would be printed on their, mo their money. They would uh, overtake nations. And it would be a propaganda phrase that now all your troubles can go away, all your suffering can go away now that we conquered you because Caesar is Lord. And then there's these people that came uh, after Jesus, and they started saying this phrase, Jesus is Lord. Uh, not the safest thing to say, uh, needless to say. And so Paul and many others uh, were persecuted. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And it's important to know that Paul was familiar with suffering. Uh, he was beaten many times. He was whipped uh, he was shipwrecked. He was persecuted at one point. Uh, he was stoned by people so much so that they thought he had died, which he hadn't. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, one of my favorite hashtags in the past few years has been uh, hashtag first world problems. You guys like that one? Uh, it's just really a way to make fun of ourselves for how, uh, you know, we just don't have a lot of problems sometimes. I was seeing this week, I'm I'm borrowing a car from a friend of mine. He lets me drive it. And the, uh, two weeks ago, like the little audio console part went out, right? And so it's got that cool thing where you, it's got the camera when you back out. And a couple weeks ago, I, I started backing out of my driveway and I had to like turn around and look. And I was like, what is this, the 1900s? I don't have a rear view camera. And then I got to my commute, you know, on 280 and I'm listening to my podcast through my iPhone speakers, like a common peasant. It was just horrible. And I was just thinking, man, sometimes my sufferings are not all that bad, right? That's a first world problem. Uh, to be clear, we're talking about real suffering with Paul. As he penned this letter, probably had literal chains, literal shackles uh, on his legs and hands. And so the context here is super, super important because in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pain, he even uh, didn't know if he would be executed. He thought he might be. In the midst of all this, there's one word that could describe the whole book of Philippians. 
And that word is joy. Joy. You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of pain and suffering, uh, the real stuff that you're made of comes to the top. And with Paul, it was joy. So inspiring, so beautiful for us to look at. And there's so much to learn together. All right, so let's jump in uh, chapter one of Philippians, okay? So let's start, how about with chapter one, verse one. (laughs) And I want to hit something. Uh, Usually we skip the welcomes of letters, and I actually want to point out something really beautiful uh, that has just been speaking to me as I've read this. So this is verse one. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. I don't know about you. When I start my emails, I usually just say, hi, and then the name. (laughs) This is good, too. Good job. Uh, to, To all God's holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. If we look at one of... Paul's other letters, the second Corinthians, he starts it out like this, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Acacia, I don't know how to say it, grace and peace to you. He starts his letter to the Galatians, grace and peace to you. The letter of Ephesians, grace and peace to you. Colossians, grace and peace to you. Every letter, everything he does, he starts with grace and peace. What if we started everything that we do with grace and peace? The word grace uh, here in the Greek uh, is a Greek word, charis. Greek word, charis. We have a lot of definitions for grace. Usually grace, we think of grace in relation to sin. But scholars think uh, the, the word charis in this, uh, this context means pleasure, Joy, gratification, pleasure and joy and peace to you. It can also mean favor, favor and peace to you. One scholar I read said a really beautiful phrase. It's like brightness and beauty. Brightness and beauty and peace to you. And the word peace is a Greek word, irene, which is similar to one of my favorite Hebrew words, shalom which means harmony, every kind of good to you, grace and shalom to you, grace and harmony to you, total well-being, reconciliation. So Paul is in chains. He's awaiting his potential execution, and his desire is for grace and peace to others, to other people. I don't know about you, but I need people to speak grace and peace into my life. In times of uh, just difficulty, I don't know, having a third child, (laughs) uh, I need, thank you. Okay, that was in the moment. I got a grace and peace. I'll take it. I need people to speak joy and pleasure into my life. By times of anxiety and stress, I need people to speak harmony into my life. Uh, this week, I started trying this. Uh, I started repeating this, free, this phrase, grace and peace to you, as I was just walking around. I walked to a coffee shop uh, at work. When I was sending out an email to somebody, before I'd send it, I'd think to myself, grace and peace to you. I was driving 
I was thinking of this phrase, and I was driving, I was in super rushed to get to my work, which is church, and I'm behind somebody, and they're turning right, and we've got the green light, right? And I'm just like, and they're not turning. They're letting everybody else turn. I'm just like, ah, I got important things to do. I got to get to church. And I'm about to honk, and I think of that phrase, grace and peace to you, brother. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. What if you thought through that intention before you sent every text? Grace and peace to you. What if before you headed to a tough meeting and you, you were in conflict with people, you thought to yourself, man, I want joy and pleasure and shalom for you more than anything else. Every relational conflict, your annoying family members. What if we approach social media without envy or pride, but we looked at people and we said, oh man, grace and peace to you. I want the best for you. What if we approached every interaction wanting grace and peace for the other one? I don't know about you, most interactions, it's a little embarrassing to say, most interactions, I'm thinking of myself in that moment. What does what, what they're saying mean to me? What can I get out of this? What do I need from that person? What if I change that intention and desire, grace and peace to you, favor to you, shalom to you? So many of our greetings start out with, uh, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? How are you doing? And I get it. Like that's, it's sometimes a little weird when you ask somebody how they're doing and like, well, you don't want to know. And they get, you know, so, you know, I get it. But what if at least our desire and our intention when greeting was this intention of grace and peace to you. So, I don't know if you noticed, normally we'll do a little meet and greet at the beginning of the service, and I intentionally had them not do that earlier. And so I want to invite all of us to stand right now. Everybody stand up. And the introverts are saying, come on, man. I thought you were on my team. <laughs> well, when I'm up here, I don't have to do it, so I can make it. Okay. <laughs> So this is what I want us to do. If you're new here, I promise it's not weird, okay? Uh, typically, we just greet people. We say hi, hello. What I'm going to ask you to do is just turn to a few people around you. Look them in the eye. Don't get weird again, about it again. <laughs> Don't stare at them. Uh, but from your heart, we are a community of believers. From your heart, speak to that person's heart and say grace and peace to you. Okay, do that for a few people and then remain standing, okay? So grace and peace to you. All right. All right. All right. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Sorry, introverts. I apologize. Uh, I know how it feels. Uh, okay, so as you remain standing, uh, this is a little bit out of order as well. Usually we will close the service with a little blessing and a benediction. And man, I just want to do that for you right now. Uh, by the power vested me in the, by the state of California <laughs> and, <laughs> and Menlo.Church, uh, I, I want to give you a blessing right now. From my heart, I've been praying about this all week. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your circumstances are, uh, what you're battling, what you're feeling, uh, but I know some of us need some grace and peace tonight. And so I want to just bless you with this. My brothers and my sisters, grace to you, joy and pleasure from God, favor from a loving God, gratification to you. 
beauty and brightness this week in your life. May you have peace. May you feel the shalom of this God. Harmony, reconciliation. I pray for you total well-being. Amen? Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right. Some of you are like, that's the blessing. So we're over? Is it done? Uh, no, we haven't even got past the second verse yet. So uh, like I said, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. That would take a long time. Uh, I want to skip past a few verses uh, and get to something I'm really excited about. Uh, but again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, read the first chapter of Philippians. You're going to see some amazing stuff of Paul's joy in the middle of suffering. But to now, uh, for now, I want to go towards the end of this chapter. And uh, we're going to go to Philippians 1.18. Okay, and here it comes. This is going to be so good. Uh, okay, verse 18. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will know in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And here it is, classic phrase, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Two Greek words right here, they're just a great poetic way of saying things. To live is Christos, to die is kurdos. Christos, kurdos. Everybody say that out loud. Christos, kurdos. Okay, 25%. That's good. That's good participating. It's a legendary and poetic line from Scripture. Christos, kurdos. To live is Christos, Christ. To die is kurdos. So we want to break down this verse together, this classic verse. Some of you guys might want to run and get a tattoo that says Christos, kurdos. So the first part, to live is Christos. This week, I asked uh, some members of our saint community uh, to tell me what does it mean, in their words, to live, okay? Uh, so I want to read you a few things that some of you wrote. To live, uh, to savor the simple things. That's good. Fulfillment. Uh, several people said, find my purpose, my goal, my meaning. Uh, to live, to be fully engaged in the present. Uh, taking opportunity to travel with loved ones. To feel like you aren't alone. You've got people you can count on, on the good and the bad. Uh, we all have different perspectives, definitions of what it means to live. Uh, you know, Casey, our tech guy, he might say to live is to go to a bunch of concerts. <laughs> How many concerts did you go to last year? How many concerts did you go to? What's that? 50 concerts last year is what Casey went to. So maybe Casey might say, to live is to go to Epic Concert. Uh, my co-staff member, Mark Mornici, he might say, to live is to eat a jack-in-the-box taco. Uh, he loves those things. How, how many? He eats, literally, he eats 10 jack-in-the-box tacos every night after sink. That's it, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can talk to him about it later. It's, it's the sin of gluttony. I'm just naming it. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, to, for me, man, to live might be uh, to sit and listen to a good Radiohead vinyl. Mm, that's to live, to live. We've got all these different perspectives and definitions. 
Paul, Paul's perspective was this, to live is Christos, Christ. What does he mean by that? The verse before he says that, he says in uh, verse 20, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The word exalt in Greek is megaluno. I just like saying that, megaluno. Exalt, megaluno, means to magnify or enlarge, to magnify. Uh, I don't know, last time you guys seen a magnifying glass? Uh, in Oklahoma, we would mostly use magnifying glasses to burn ants. <laughs> Did you know you can do that? Uh, you can sort of focus the light and burn ants. And I know in California, we don't do that because every ant has a name, of a family member. We care about these things. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you've seen old people use them. I've seen them. When I got my wife a ring, you know, they look for the diamonds. They sort of examine it, right? Uh, what does magnifying lens do? It enlarges the details. It magnifies something that you couldn't previously see. And Paul says, uh, what is it to live? It means to magnify Christ in the way that I live. I want my life to magnify him, to enlarge Christ, who he is, the image of a Christ, to help the world see the good and perfect gifts from Christ, laughter and joy and nature and love and loyalty. They all originate from Christ to show the world this. Someone was recently telling me uh, about a coworker who was constantly in despair, constantly complaining about life constantly and stuff, what would it mean for this person to magnify Christ to their coworker? What would that look like? Those of us who grew up in the church, have been Christians for a while, uh, we might have a little baggage with this concept of, of magnifying or glorifying Christ with all that we do. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and there are these Christian superstores. And I'd walk in, and I'd try to find Christian artists. I think I've told you this in the past. I was in a Christian punk rock band. It's a story for another day. Uh, but I'd walk through this store, and I'd come to the apparel section. And I want to show you a picture of uh, one of these shirts that I always wanted. These Christian shirts uh, hit me with it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's a rack of these Christian shirts. And this is Jesus. It is Jesus like Reese's. Do you get it? <laughs> uh, Reese's is the only God-ordained candy in the world. So I loved it. Uh, but there'd be all these Christian t-shirts and you could get uh, testaments is what they're called. They were mints that you would pass out to people and it would tell them about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so a lot of what uh, us that grew up with that kind of Christianity, uh, that's what it meant to tell people about Jesus, to magnify Jesus, was just constantly pushing it in other people's faces. And what I want to tell you tonight is magnifying Christ is so much more expansive than that, so much more nuanced, so much more beautiful. Magnifying Christ is to live in a way that shows the reality that everything is made by and through Christ. That when he speaks, eight billion galaxies are formed. Come on, somebody. This is the Christ. His love flows through creation, laughter, music, good coffee, justice, 
the ocean, and stars, they're all pointing to a reality of a creator that loves us and is looking for us. This is what it means to magnify Christ. It's way more than a Christian t-shirt. So a question for you, what does your life magnify? If I could take this magnifying lens and we could just look through your life and enlarge uh, what you do day to day, what does it magnify? The way you live, the way you talk, the, the decisions you make. What does it point to? Your own kingdom, your own agenda, your own dreams. Or does it point to something greater? Does it point to Christ? To live is Christos. So Paul says through his entire life, but then the next part, he says this ridiculous phrase. To live is Christos, but to die is kurdos. To die is gain. How is that possible? In our culture, dying is sort of the opposite of a positive, the opposite of a gain. It's scary. It's the end. Uh, our culture, we fight against it at all costs. We do uh, have plastic surgeries and anti-aging creams uh, just to try to, to forget that the end is coming for all of us. So again, I asked some of you in our community, uh, what does it mean to die? And as usual, you guys are a lot smarter than me, so this is really good stuff. Uh, what does it mean to die? Emptiness. The process of losing the potential for activity. To isolate and ignore and choose complacency and comfort over truth. Mm. To leave something behind that was weighing you down to move on to something better, to be released, uh, to give up, or the literal sense of death is to leave this earth. So again, many perspectives and definitions of what death is and what it is to die. Paul's perspective is that it is gain. In the next couple of verses, he words it like this. He says, my desire is to depart. The Greek word here is analuo. To loose, untie, and release. Uh, to loose, untie. Sort of like uh, uh, I heard scholar, one scholar talk about it. It's like a tent. In the old days, you'd have a tent, and you pull up uh, the anchors or the tent stakes, and, and you release it, and you move on to a new location. Uh, these are two of my tent stakes. I don't get to go camping very much anymore, three kids, but we have this tent that we take to the beach. I have a picture uh, of my, my son Jude. We took him to the beach, put him in this tent a couple weeks ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. What's the point of that? No point. I just want to show you my baby. <laughs> uh, but with the tent, you have these tent stakes that anchor it down, and then you pull them up and you move to a location. One scholar says it like this. Uh, it is the word for striking camp, loosening the tent ropes, pulling up the tent pins, and moving on. Death is a moving on. Instead, in the terrible days of the war, when the Royal Air Force stood between Britain and destruction, and the lives of pilots were being sacrificially spent, they never spoke of a pilot as having been killed, but always having been posted to another station. Each day is day's march nearer home, until in the end, camp in this world is forever struck in exchange for permanent residence in the world of glory. So death is not an, not an ending, it's a relocating. 
Paul would say it's an entrance into Christ's nearer presence. A lot of us are anchored down by things in life. We're held down. Our anxiety, uh, our pressures. Paul would often say he had a thorn in his side that would hold him down. And entering into Christ's near presence was a union with him. It was a gain because he would finally be in this presence, living moment to moment uh, with Christ. Now, this word can also be like a resolution, like solving problems. Uh, death can be a resolution. Uh, the word earlier we use shalom. Death could be a final shalom, harmony. Uh, I want to show you guys a picture uh, of a kid named Dar- uh, Garrett. Uh, I read this story about a year ago, and it just stuck with me uh, for a long time. Uh, Garrett was a five-year-old kid. Uh, he, he got this disease, uh, a form of cancer that's very rare. And uh, he, he, at the end of his life, wrote this obituary that just stuck with me. Uh, so I want to read you some portions of this obituary. Uh, his name is Garrett Matthias, a.k.a. Great Garrett Underpants. <laughs> my name is Garrett Boofius. Uh, my address is I'm a bulldog. I thought that was a good one. When I grow up, I'm going to be a professional boxer. That's good. Uh, let's see some of the, my favorite ones. Things I hate, pants. <laughs> Dirty, stupid cancer. I do like the mint monkey nose at Mayo Radiation and that one guy that helped me build Legos. (laughs) Uh, When I die, I'm going to be a gorilla and throw poo at daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they have a question. They ask all these kids, big or small funeral? Funerals are sad. I want five bouncy houses because I'm five. I want Batman and snow cones. (laughs) And his parents actually did all these things for him at his funeral. And at the very end, this is my favorite part, uh, his parents write a little more in the obituary, and then he says this phrase, see you later, suckers, <laughs> the, great, the great Garrett underpants. And this story, man, it, it wrecked me. And it still wrecks me. Uh, because I know a five-year-old, I know the innocence I know the vibrancy that's in a five-year-old's life. And I read about something like that, and I put myself in his position or the parent's position, and I ask the question, why? And it hurts. I ask, why? Past five years just being in ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call on Saturday night, and someone said, hey, we need to switch up the service tomorrow. Uh, because we have to do another prayer. There was a shooting last night. You guys know what I'm talking about. It happens again, and you just say, why? Someone you love has had cancer. You yourself. You see racism, all these issues with immigration, the loneliness you face, the anxiety you face, and you just ask, why? Why? Revelation 21, verse 4, it says this. This is the hope of the final shalom. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. 
crying or pain because the old order has passed away. At the beginning of the Bible, uh, there's this poem, this is story that talks about God creating the world in shalom. Everything was in its right place, a place of harmony and reconciliation. And that's the hope that death will bring. Death can be gain because we will be again in this moment of shalom with God. And so the reality tonight that we have to realize is this world is broken. It's broken. But then there's this man who's no stranger to brokenness, literal chains. Uh, He's not sure if he'll die in the next couple of weeks, and eventually he is killed. No stranger to brokenness, and he talks about joy. This man, Paul, says to us, grace and peace from Christ Jesus. This world is broken. It needs people to speak grace and peace to it. How many people in your life just need someone to speak favor and shalom to them? How many people need to see lives that magnify the beauty of Christ? How many people need the the hope and the belief that one day, All of this will be restored. All questions will be answered. And all things will be reconciled. That's what Paul is calling us to. That's what he's challenging us with. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. There's this other time. uh, Paul and his buddy Barnabas were in prison again. um, In the middle of suffering and persecution again. And scripture talks about in the middle of this suffering, uh, they started singing hymns of joy. This is the paradox of the gospel. In the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our hurt and our pain and our questions, uh, we can have joy because of our hope in Christ. So what I ask you to do is just reflect right now. What are those things in your life? What is uh, the suffering? What is the anxiety? I just ask, ask you to bring those to God right now. And I want you to think about someone in your life who is in need of grace and peace. They might be suffering, but they don't have any kind of joy underneath. They don't have any kind of hope. After I pray, we're just gonna we're gonna take a moment to sing in this reality that in the midst of any circumstance we can find joy and hope in this Christ so we're going to pray together and we're going to sing in the middle of our suffering 
God, we're so thankful for tonight. I'm thankful for uh, just the learnings we can have from something that was written a thousand years ago. God, I pray for those in this room who are just feeling uh, burdened, questioning, suffering, questions of why things happen in this world like they do. God, would you help them to sense your nearness? Would you give them hope in uh, the, the reality that shalom is coming? Would you teach us how to live for you, to magnify you with all that we have. Father, we pray for those who need grace and peace in this world. Would you give us that, uh, that strength, that courage, that conviction to be the kind of people that look to others in this way? Ultimately, would you continue to change us, transform us, and continue to move? So we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.